0: in the New Testament, first of all Romans chapter 6. Romans 6 verses 1 through 14. Both of the uh, scripture readings this afternoon are tied to the theme of Christ's resurrection and why Christ's resurrection matters. Uh, So first, Romans 6, verses 1 through 14. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? Let not sin, therefore, reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. So far from Romans 6, let's also turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians 15, a well-known chapter uh, dealing with the resurrection of Christ and the resurrection of the dead uh, for those who believe in Him. 1 Corinthians 15. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead." For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, then those at His coming, then at his coming those who belong to Christ, and then comes the end, when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father, after destroying every rule and every authority and power, for he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death, For God has put all things in subjection under his feet. But when it says all things are put in subjection, it is plain that He is accepted uh, who put all things in subjection under Him. When all things are subjected to Him, then the Son Himself will also be subjected to Him who put all things in subjection under Him, that God may be all in all. Otherwise, what do people mean by being baptized on behalf of the dead? If the dead are not raised at all, why are people baptized on their behalf? Why are we in danger every hour? I protest, brothers, by my pride in you, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord. I die every day. What do I gain if, humanly speaking, I fought with beasts at Ephesus? If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. Wake up from your drunken stupor, as is right, and do not go on sinning. For some have no knowledge of God. I say this to your shame. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is of one kind, and the glory of the earthly is of another. There is one glory of the sun, another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars, for star differs from star in glory. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery, we shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet... The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. So far, the Word of God. As we reflect on what we've read, let's sing together from Psalm 116, stanzas 1, 2, and 5. Every Lord's Day in the afternoon service, we turn to the Heidelberg Catechism, the Confession of Faith of this Church, and a Summary of Christian Doctrine. And we find ourselves this afternoon in Lord's Day 17. That's on page 531 of your Books of Praise. There, the question we are presented with is, How does Christ's resurrection benefit us? First, by His resurrection, He has overcome death so that He could make us share in the righteousness which He had obtained for us by His death. Second, by His power we too are raised up to a new life. Third, Christ's resurrection is to us a sure pledge of our glorious resurrection. So far, the Heidegger Catechism. Brothers and sisters in our Lord Jesus Christ, this afternoon we have the opportunity to do some deep thinking about the resurrection of Christ from the dead. Uh, This is part of our work through the the Apostles' Creed, uh, where we confess, on the third day he arose from the dead. And the purpose of the catechism in this is to unpack that short phrase and say, what does it mean? Why does it matter? Uh, And and so we want to ask the question from the outset, why is the resurrection of Christ important? Why does it matter? Now, to some of us, that might sound like a question that you don't even need to ask that question. Of course it matters. Uh, Why even ask it? Uh, But in in fact, it actually very much does need to be asked, why do we believe that the resurrection matters? Uh, This is something we should think carefully through. Think about it this way. If you were asked to summarize the gospel message, uh, perhaps a neighbor uh, comes and asks you, can you tell me what the gospel is all about? Probably most of us uh, would summarize the gospel uh, something like this. The gospel is the good news that Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins, period. Most of us would summarize the gospel, something like that. Uh, most of us, when we think about what did Christ do that matters, we think about his death. We don't normally, or at least often, think about his resurrection, at least not in the first place. Uh, and, and moreover, most of you, if you were asked, uh, why does the death of Jesus matter? Most of us would probably, I'll venture to guess, uh, would probably be able to answer that fairly well. Uh, That if you were asked, why does Jesus' death matter, you could explain that. You could uh, hopefully answer that. Uh, But what if you were asked, why does the resurrection matter? Perhaps most of us would struggle more with that question, uh, uh, to to answer that uh, with, with confidence. Here's why it matters. And yet, here's the clincher when the apostles uh, and the early Christians spoke of the gospel message, they actually spoke of the resurrection at least as often, if not more often, than they spoke of the death of Christ. Uh, think about these words from First Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Uh, Peter says, uh, introducing the gospel uh, in, in the first words of his letter, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to His great mercy... What has He done? According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Uh, Peter centers his gospel hope on the resurrection. Uh, we might have said, uh, you know, Praise be to, God's, to God for his grace in, in sending Christ to die. Uh, Peter goes to the resurrection. Or, or listen to this the first words of the letter to the Romans. Uh, Romans 1, verse 1, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, uh, which he'll then uh, proceed to explain, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his Son, who was descended from David according to the flesh, and declared to be the Son of God in power, according to the Spirit of His holiness, by the resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Doesn't mention even Christ's death. He goes straight to Christ's resurrection, or, or think about what Paul says in 1 Corinthians fifteen. We read it earlier. He says, "If Christ has not been raised, our faith is in our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain." Uh, the, the early Christians and the apostles centered, grounded their hope on the resurrection. To them, it was absolutely essential. ...to a right understanding of the gospel. Uh, So with that in mind then, this afternoon I want to ask the question, why? Why is the resurrection of Jesus so uh, important? What follows from it? Why does our faith rest uh, on it? I want to look at uh, five reasons, explicit reasons given in Scripture... ...for why the resurrection is absolutely essential... ...and why our faith depends upon it... Number one, the resurrection proves that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. Now, you see this in a number of places in Scripture. Uh, Again, Romans 1 verse, verse 4, He was declared to be the Son of God in power, according to the Spirit of holiness, by His resurrection from the dead. The resurrection is God's declaration. This is the Messiah. This is the Christ. Uh, This is why it was so important for the apostles, when they first preached the gospel, to go to the resurrection. Uh, It was the resurrection that turned their life upside down. Uh, When Christ was crucified, the disciples were scattered. When Christ was raised, the disciples were instilled with new courage and faith. Uh, it's, it, it shattered their world because they knew God has done something unique here. God has done something great. Uh, you think of Thomas uh, in, in John chapter 20. When Thomas saw the risen Lord, uh, he falls before him and says, My Lord and my God. Uh, He recognizes something so great has happened here that I can now recognize Jesus as my God. Uh, The resurrection proved to the disciples Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. Uh, now, it's certainly true. You might object. Well, other people have risen from the dead, too, uh, in, in Scripture. There are other stories. Uh, there are resusc- resuscitation accounts. Uh, you think of the prophet Elisha raising uh, a young boy from, from the dead, or the Lord Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. But here's the thing, in all of those cases, those were at best a a temporary uh, resurrection. Uh, They were only resuscitated. They still died again. Uh, They they did not rise to immortal life. The resurrection of Jesus is absolutely different in that regard. Uh, For for several reasons. For one, Jesus is the only one who said, I'm going to die and be raised again on the third day, and then actually did it. Uh, that that's pretty unique uh, that that Jesus does that uh, and the disciples recognize this he he said he would rise uh, in addition to this we might think of uh, at the stories of of the resurrection there was this great uh, stone in front of the tomb uh, placed at the entrance not to mention a, a guard of soldiers uh, around it and and Jesus not only rose from death But an angel of God removed the stone uh, and and did so in the sight of the guards. That's a unique resurrection. And then finally, most importantly, Jesus, when he rose, he rose never to die again. Uh, He he rose glorified. Uh, Anyone else who rose before him rose in their mortal fallen bodies, which would yet die again. Jesus rose not just as one who has delayed death, but as one who has overcome death, who's come out the other side. Uh, And so the resurrection to the early Christians and the apostles, as we see in Scripture, the resurrection is God's vindication of Jesus. God's declaration, this is my son. This is the Savior I said would come. Uh, There were many times, of course, that God had affirmed this at Jesus' baptism. Uh, the, God declared from heaven, this is my beloved son. Uh, although the people uh, surrounding Matthew records that they, they thought it had just thundered. Uh, and then again on the Mount of Transfiguration, uh, some of the disciples were up. They saw Jesus transfigured uh, on that mountain. And, and there again God spoke. He said, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. Uh, And God demonstrated that he was with Jesus all along. Uh, When Jesus died, the rocks split open, and and there was the uh, centurion and those who were with him who, who saw that and said, Surely this must be the Son of God. Uh, But the most powerful demonstration of of Christ's identity was the resurrection. This is what turned everything on its head. Uh, This is what turned these terrified and and bewildered disciples scattered uh, around into bold and courageous apostles, uh, who every one of them gave their lives to proclaiming the gospel. This is why uh, when Peter preaches his first sermon on the day of Pentecost, the sermon is all about the resurrection. Uh, that's, that's what he focuses on. Uh, it, because it was in this that God had proven and demonstrated more powerfully than anywhere else that Jesus is the Messiah. Uh, So Acts 2, on the day of Pentecost, uh, in verse 31 in Peter's sermon, he says, David foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus, Peter says, God raised up, and of that we are witnesses. Uh, Again, a few verses later, he comes back to this. He says, Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ this Jesus, whom you crucified, in what sense did God make Him Lord and Christ? He was already Lord and Christ. Uh, yet Peter uh, is is saying, at the resurrection, God has shown you that's who He is. Uh, the resurrection then was so central to the apostles uh, because it was the irrefutable irrefutable evidence from God Himself uh, that they had seen with their own eyes that Jesus is who He said He was. That's the first reason we should think of when we ask, why is the resurrection so important? Because it proves who Jesus was. Uh, Secondly, the resurrection is absolutely essential because in the resurrection, Christ brought to an end the curse of death. Uh, At least an equally important reason. The resurrection brings an end to the curse of death for those who belong to Jesus. And that, after all, is what our salvation is all about. Uh, we, when we talk about our salvation, what are we saved from? Well, we're saved from death and the wrath of God. Uh, when did that happen? When Christ rose. Uh, there, the curse of death was overcome. Now, to understand this, we we need to make sure we first rightly understand Christ's death. Uh, Part of the reason that many Christians today struggle to understand why the resurrection matters is because they don't fully understand why Christ's death uh, matters. Uh, This is why a few weeks ago when we looked at the death of Christ, we spent some time talking about what does it mean that Jesus is our substitute. Uh, uh, and that Jesus is more than just a simple substitute. Now, this is often how the gospel is explained. It's, it's, it's a reduced, uh, it's oversimplified gospel that simply says Jesus is our, our substitute, a simple exchange, Jesus in my place. Uh, now, th- there's biblical truth to that, and it's a very easy concept to, to explain, but it gets something wrong. What it gets wrong is, Jesus is not merely a substitute. He is also our covenant head. And he died as our covenant head. Uh, this is essential for getting the gospel message right. Uh, that, that we are united to Christ in his death, it's not just a righteous man dying in the place of unrighteous men. It's our head, our our father, so to speak, or our older brother, dying on behalf of those for whom he is responsible. Uh, this this doctrine of, of our union with Christ, then, it, it's a difficult doctrine, especially to our our, our modern ears, where we're so scientifically oriented uh, but it but it's an essential piece of the puzzle to understanding how the gospel works uh, and it's often missed by by simplistic presentations of the gospel that just says jesus died in your place uh, end of story and 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 that leads to to difficult questions of why did jesus then need to rise uh on Christ's death, the failure to understand then that Christ died as our head causes many people to struggle with the justice of God. If you don't see Christ as your head, then then is it really just for God to punish a, a righteous man in the place of God? Uh, unrighteous men, uh, how is that just it 's a question many many Christians uh, and even unbelievers struggle with uh, that, that becomes a barrier to, to accepting the gospel because it seems unjust uh, but here 's the thing: Christ is not just any righteous man he 's not just a righteous stranger; uh, he is uh, our covenant head, and so responsible for us and worthy to die. In our place. Uh, uh, We can understand, for example, a father dying on behalf of his children. Uh, Or we can understand a general uh, taking the punishment on behalf of his soldiers, taking responsibility for his soldiers uh, because they're they're covenantally united together. That makes uh, sense, and that we must understand when it comes to the death of Christ as well. He dies as our head. Uh, And and moreover, then, because he's our covenant head, uh, we are also united to him in his death. In other words, as we saw a few weeks ago, Christ's death is our death. We may rightly say, as Paul does, there I died. On the cross. It's not just he died so I didn't have to, I died with him. Uh, His death is my death. Uh, And and if if that's true, then we can begin to understand why the resurrection is so important. Uh, Because if we uh, united to Christ, if we died with him, what then? Uh, what next? Uh, if, if Christ died under the curse of the law, and you died with Him under the curse of the law, and that's where the story ends, then you remain under the curse of the law. Uh, without the resurrection, we would still be there under God's judgment, with Christ our head under God's judgment. Now this is why Paul uh, emphasizes, if Christ has not been raised you are still in your sins. Uh, you have not received anything from Him yet. You're still under the curse. Understand then how, how different this is from, from any mere simple substitution. If all that happened was an innocent man took the place of, of unrighteous uh, sinners, uh, and you know, our guilt goes on him, his righteousness goes on us, a simple exchange, there's no need for a resurrection. But Scripture teaches we died with Him, and so we must also rise with Him. Uh, We are united to Him so that His resurrection is also ours. Uh, So to put it uh, very simply, as Scripture uh, teaches, when Christ died, we died. When Christ rose, we also rose. It's by rising from the dead that Christ brought an end both to the curse of death for Himself but also for us. I hear this as well from from Peter uh, in his his sermon at Pentecost. Uh, He says there, God raised Christ up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for Him to be held by it. Uh, What he's saying there is Christ's resurrection is the moment when the power of death was broken, not just for Christ, but for us who are united to him there the pangs of death over you were also loosened uh, so also paul says in, in uh, the text we read from 1st corinthians 15 death is swallowed up in victory o oh, death where is your victory o oh, death where is your sting the sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law but thanks be to god who gives us the victory through our lord jesus christ it's his victory that gives us also victory Uh, So the salvation, uh, the the work of salvation, when we think about what is the gospel, uh, it does not end with the death of Christ. You must also uh, have the resurrection of Christ. Uh, There his suffering uh, uh, on the cross, excuse me, Christ's suffering was finished, but it's in his resurrection that his salvation and our salvation is complete. Uh, The two must be held together. Uh, You see this in the first words of 1 Corinthians uh, 15 as well. Uh, Paul says there, I deliver to you as of first importance. He says, this is the most important thing. And and then he he describes the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ as one thing of first importance. It belongs together. Uh, So why is Christ's resurrection necessary, number one? because it shows the world that Jesus is the Christ. Number two, uh, because in it Christ brought an end to the curse of death for him and for you. And number three, uh, in Christ, because we're united to him, we also die to sin and rise in this life to new life. Uh, in Christ, we die to sin and rise to new life. This is the, the big idea Paul communicates in, in Romans 6, and it's, it's, it's a huge theme in, in Scripture. Uh, let me present it this way, by, by asking a question. Uh, I've done this to the catechism students, so they might... Uh, Uh, pick up on where this is going Uh, let me ask the question why does it matter how you now live since your sins are forgiven anyways uh, because christ died for them christ died for your sins you have forgiveness why does it matter how you now live uh, different answers that that you can give uh, that are legitimate. Uh, so sometimes Christians will say, "Well, well, because it matters because true faith shows itself in true fruits." Uh, that's that's a good answer. It's a biblical answer. Uh, James two uh, says, uh, "Faith without works is dead." Uh, if there are no good works to accompany your faith, you can be sure that it's a false faith. Uh, that's a good answer. Uh, related to that. Sometimes Christians will also say, well, why does it matter how how you live now? Well, because we we pursue a holy life out of gratitude to God. It's also a good biblical answer. It's the big idea in in the Heidelberg Catechism that's divided between grace or guilt, grace, and gratitude, talking about our new life. But there's even more to be said. When Paul was presented with this same question, uh, he answered it in yet a different way. Uh, The the question to Paul is, is, uh, why not sin so that grace may abound? It's the other side to the coin. Same question. Why why live a new life if you're already uh, under God's grace? Uh, And Paul says this, Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Now think about what Paul is saying there. Uh, When did you die to sin? When Christ died, you died with Him. Uh, He says, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? We were buried therefore with Him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead, we too might walk in newness of life. All right, Listen to Paul's logic in, in that uh, answer. Why should we, as those who have been redeemed, turn from a life of sin to a new holy life? Uh, Paul does not speak immediately about, well, you need to prove the trueness of your faith, Uh, nor does he even talk immediately about, well, your your life of faith is gratitude uh, to God. Uh, Rather, he says, you turn from sin to a new life because that's what it means to be united to Christ. That's what it means to be in Christ. You died with Christ to sin. You rise with Christ to new life. That's what it means to be united to Him. Now he goes on to say, uh, Romans 6, verse 5, If we've been united with Him in a death like His, we will certainly be united with Him in a resurrection like His. We know our old self was crucified with Him. You See that unity again. You were crucified with him, uh, in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For the one who's died has been set free from sin. Uh, therefore, verse 12, let not sin reign in your mortal bodies. Uh, do you follow the logic in what Paul is saying? Uh, understand what Christ's death was really about. Uh, Christ died to put an end to to sin that's why christ came to bring an end to sin that's what he died for that's what he gave up his life to accomplish Uh, it was his hatred for sin and his love for for righteousness and his love for you uh, to, to do to rescue you from sin that led christ to die he died to save you from your sin Well, now you, if you are united to him in his death, uh, what does that mean? It means you're united with him in a a similar hatred for sin and desire to put it to death. Uh, You want to die as Christ died. Uh, That's what it means to be united to him. It means that you, by his spirit, now share his hatred For sin, Uh, you too regard your sin as so heinous, as so serious uh, that Christ had to die for it. Therefore, it's your utmost desire as well to die to it. Uh, Therefore, Paul concludes, it makes no sense whatsoever for you to say, I'm united to Christ and don't care if I live in sin. You're not then united to Christ. Because it means, to be united to Christ means to to hate sin and to love righteousness. Uh, Paul applies the exact same logic then to the resurrection. Uh, He says, having died to put an end to sin, Christ then rose from death to new life. And and what kind of new life? A life of peace and fellowship with God and righteousness. That's the life Christ rose to. If you are united to Him, that's the life you've risen to. A life of peace and fellowship with God. Uh, So you not only hate your sin with with a holy hatred, being united to Christ in that, but you love God's righteousness with a holy love, being united to Christ also in that. Uh, Therefore, concludes Paul, that's how we now live. That's what it means to be united to Christ. Now this is why the catechism uh, speaks of of repentance and conversion as the dying of the old nature and the coming to life of the new. You, You die with Christ in His death. You come to life with Christ in His resurrection. I want to point out just a couple of other places in Scripture uh, where, where Scripture teaches this same truth so that we, we would appreciate how, how foundational this is to, to our faith. Uh, Romans 8, verse 10. Paul says, if Christ is in you, there's our, our, our spiritual union with him, If Christ is in you, then although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, then He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. Uh, you're united in Christ's resurrection. Just as God raised Him, God also raises you even now in this life, to that new, holy, righteous life to which Christ Himself rose. Uh, Ephesians 2, as well, verse 1, uh, You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Uh, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, Made us alive together with Christ. You see that union with Christ? Made us alive together with Christ by grace you've been saved and raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Do you see our union with Christ and the impact it makes on our life here and now? Just one more, Colossians 2 verse 12. He says, You have been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God. Uh, God made you alive together with him, having forgiven our trespasses, canceling the record of debt that stood against us, and nailing it to the cross. The Christian life flows out of an understanding of union with Christ in his death and in his resurrection. That becomes the centerpiece, not just for our salvation, for our, uh, our hope, but also for our life. Our life is a union with Christ in his death to sin and a union with Christ in his rising to new life. Uh, Indeed, in the next verse in Colossians, Paul says, If then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ now is, seated at the right hand of God. Uh, Knowing what Christ has risen for, we fix our eyes on that. And we know we're united to Christ in that. So do you hear that, brothers and sisters? You have died with Christ Praise be to God, the old you, the you you would once be uh, once have been, that you would be apart from Christ, has died now, I know it 's still kicking around the, the, you know the twitches of a of a dead body uh, that 's not quite limp yet uh, that old nature is is still there in us, uh, but you have nonetheless died to Christ. that old nature will not last forever it 's on its way. Out and you've risen to new life. There's a new creation in you that you are uh, in Christ. Just as you died with Christ, you rose with Christ to new life. I want to give one more reason. Uh, reason number four, why the resurrection is absolutely critical. We're almost uh, done here. Uh, reason number four, uh, very briefly, it's the living Christ who sends his spirit, not the dead Christ. It's the living Christ who sends His Spirit, who builds His church, and who calls sinners to repentance. Uh, If all Christ had done was die for our sins, uh, to pay the penalty our sins deserve, uh, though that is, of course, a great accomplishment, it would do us no good if Christ was not alive afterwards to send His Spirit uh, to us to bring us to repentance and faith. Uh, This is uh, what the Catechism is referring to when it says uh, by his resurrection he has overcome death to make us share in the righteousness which he obtained for us by his death. Christ needs to be alive to do that, to communicate his benefits, his grace to us. Christ must be alive uh, to do that. Uh, Peter says it this way uh, in in his sermon on Pentecost, uh, "...this Jesus God raised up, of that we are witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, He has poured out this, the Holy Spirit... That you yourselves are seeing and hearing. Uh, That can only happen if Christ is risen, if Christ is alive. Christ rose, in other words, in order to reign, and he reigns by his word and spirit, uh, which come from the living Christ. Now, uh, he said this to his disciples as well in, in Matthew 28, the, the very familiar passage where he says, all authorities in, in, in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go make disciples of all nations and, and so forth. And, and then he finishes saying, behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Those are the words of a risen Christ. That the risen Christ is with us. If Christ was dead, he could not be with us as we carry out the Great Commission. And that is absolutely critical. If Christ were, were not with His church, if He were still dead, still in the grave, how could His church possibly grow? It is not a human effort. It is not a human creation. It's the work of the risen Christ. Uh, not even His disciples, indeed, would have ever been uh, become uh, believers uh, without His Spirit poured out After his resurrection. Uh, And and how much less the billions of Christians on the earth today. Or who have believed in him through the the, the thousands of years uh, past. It's the living Christ who now builds his church. It's the living Christ who sits at the Father's side and reigns over heaven and earth. It's the living Christ uh, who sends his spirit to awaken our hearts. To instill faith. to, To make us into new creatures. And finally, one, one last reason, uh, number five. Why does Christ's resurrection matter? Because Christ's resurrection is the first fruits and the guarantee of our final resurrection. And that's what it all culminates in. That's what our faith points towards. Uh, that's what our salvation is ultimately all about. Uh, the, the, the end of death, not just for our souls, but also for our bodies. It's amazing how often this too is overlooked by Christians today or regarded as, as uh, a, an extra. As Yes, that's something we believe, but it's, it really doesn't factor as, as being something all that important. So many Christians think about uh, the Christian faith as the goal of the Christian faith is to not go to hell and instead to go to heaven. Heaven is not the final goal. Uh, The hope of the apostles and the hope that Jesus himself taught us to look forward to is not heaven, but the resurrection of our bodies. Uh, In this regard, even now, uh, not everything is yet perfect in heaven. Now, of course, there's no question that heaven, life in heaven is better than life on earth. Paul says it, to die is gain. But it isn't yet perfect. In one sense, it's perfect in the sense that we are free from sin, and we are in the presence of God. We see and experience His glory. But at the same time, it is not the final goal. It's not the hope Christ taught us to look to. In Revelation 6, you find the saints, indeed, crying out from under the altar, waiting to see God's justice on the persecutors of the church on earth. They were waiting for the fulfillment of of all things. Uh, and not only do they cry out for justice. But they also long for the day. When they are reunited with their bodies. Uh, we, we weren't made to be separate from our bodies. We are not Buddhists. Who think that the soul just needs to escape from this body. In order to experience uh, perfection. Uh, that's not a Christian uh, belief. Though it's so often uh, seems uh, to, to be presented as the, the, the Christian faith so often is presented in those terms. You, you get away from this body, and, and then you're, you're, you're there in heaven, and, and that's, you're saved. Uh, no, God created us in our bodies. God said in Genesis 1, they're very good. It's his good creation. Uh, and, and God teaches us to look forward to the salvation, not just of our souls, but also of our bodies. And indeed we know this, we know this, we feel this naturally when we lay a loved one in the grave, uh, we long for the resurrection of their bodies. We we feel a desire to hold on to their bodies because they're part of the person that we love. Uh, We are body and soul knit together. Uh, so when we, when we lay our loved ones down in the dirt, uh, it's true, as we say, that they've gone to a better place. Uh, Paul says it too, to live is Christ, to die is gain. But even so, that's not our final hope. Uh, when we lay our bodies down, we don't lay them down to give them up. Uh, we lay them down, uh, not saying goodbye to them forever, uh, but because we know that Christ will raise them up again In glory, made perfect, free from sin, free from mortality, and glorious. Beyond our ability to, to fathom. And that's where Paul also finishes in, in 1 Corinthians 15 saying, This, brothers, is your hope. Uh, the apostles indeed suffered so much for this belief uh, that our bodies would be raised again. It was such an important doctrine to them and so countercultural, both among uh, elite Jews as well as among, uh, among Gentiles. It was very countercultural to believe that your body had value. And would be raised again, as we see in First Corinthians fifteen Paul is here fighting against Christians, uh, fellow Christians who couldn 't swallow the idea that our body has worth, such that God would raise it up again, uh, but but the the apostles had seen the risen body of Jesus, and saw in Him the value that God places upon our bodies. They had touched His body. And then they knew, so also, as He had risen, we too shall rise. Our parents, our uh, friends, our children, they too will be raised again. We, we do not say farewell to their bodies forever. Uh, The catechism then also says Christ's resurrection is a sure pledge of our glorious resurrection. Uh, That's based on what Paul says in in, in 1 Corinthians 15 verse 20, that Christ is the, the first fruits of our resurrection, the first fruit to have been gathered as a sign that more fruit is coming. If Christ was raised in His body and we know we are united to Him, We are united to Him then, not just in spirit, but also in body. Our bodies will also be raised. And they will be raised glorious. Uh, It's it's an amazing metaphor that Paul uses when he speaks of planting these these seeds, these kernels, these grains. Uh, He says in verse 37, What you sow into the ground is not the body that is to be, but you sow a bare kernel, uh, whether it's wheat or some other grain. But God gives it a body as he has chosen to each seed its own body. Uh, So... In one sense, the seed that we place into the ground is the same body that will be raised. uh, Just as as a kernel of wheat is the same organism that will be raised uh, as as the full-grown plant. But in another sense, as you think about that, the full-grown plant is so much more glorious. It's different. It's so much better. It's the fullness and perfection of everything the seed was meant to be. Uh, That's the metaphor Paul uses. The seed being planted into the dirt has no idea how glorious it will be when it's raised. Uh, So, uh, jumping then to the end of the chapter, he says, so it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised, is imperishable. It's sown in dishonor. It's raised in glory. It's sown in weakness. It's raised in power. It's sown a natural body. It's raised a spiritual body. Uh, what we sow, our bodies broken. Bodies broken by sin and all of its consequences. Bodies that are deformed. Uh, bodies uh, with missing limbs. Uh, bodies that, 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 that don't work the way that they should. Bodies that, that self-destruct over time. That get old and tired and, and wrinkled. Uh, we sow those bodies into the earth knowing they will be raised, but they'll be raised so much better, so much more glorious into a harvest that will leave us breathless when we see it. Uh, Surely those uh, on this earth who suffered the most with their bodies uh, will be the the ones to to rejoice the most on the day when they see their bodies fully raised the way they were meant to be. Uh, That's the future we look forward to, and we look forward to it because Christ rose uh, on that day. Uh, he rose because God's justice had been fully satisfied in him, uh, so he brought to end the curse of death. He rose to give us new life. He rose, uh, he, he rose to, to bring us into his kingdom, and he rose so that we may look forward to the harvest, the rising of our bodies as well. Uh, that's why the resurrection matters. So we look forward. Uh, In Christ to the fullness of all that Christ has promised. Amen. Uh, Let's respond.